Hey guys, and welcome back to Creep Burrito. I'm sorry this episode has been a little bit delayed. I've had other stuff to do. I'm Harrison Wilde, and today I and we and you are joined by the amazing New York Times best-selling author, Karen Travis. If you don't know her work, she has worked on some amazing franchises, her own The Ringer series, she's done Halo, Gears of War, Batman, Star Wars, and a whole load of other original novels too. She's got some amazing viewpoints to put across because she knows a lot of complex people, a lot of people who serve in the military and have very interesting lives, and that obviously helps her write the interesting and complex characters that she puts in her novels. And maybe we get into a bit about whether you should or shouldn't base characters on real people in the real lives and the problems that might cause. Mmm, mysteries. <laughs> and not only that, she also found herself becoming anime obsessed recently in lockdown since having all of the streaming platforms. So she's gonna explain to us some of the interesting storylines that she's found and why anime has become a new love for her. This is an unexpected turn to the end of the episode. I really didn't expect it to go there. But regardless, let's kick off the interview. Let's kick off the music. Let's get into it, guys. Enjoy. No, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned about audiobooks and uh, Audible just then, because I've just gone through your um, The Best of Us novel on Audible. Yeah. And I wanted to ask, like, do you prefer people obviously reading your work or how do you feel about it being read from an actor? I am happy for it to be done anyway, as long as it's in the English language. The one thing I, I don't want to do any anymore that I had no choice over yeah. when I was working for, uh, well, working for, sorry, let me start that again. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with with any format for my books although yeah. there needs to be a little bit of adjustment sometimes um, as long as it's in the English language uh, okay. I didn't have any control over that when I was uh, writing books uh, with uh, traditional publishers because right. if you if you actually said I'm sorry I don't want translations done uh, I think you've got to be enormously influential i earn them zillions for them to listen to that uh, you, you basically sign your rights away i was never happy with the translations i have a number of uh, friends whose first language is in english you know, um, who say they're really not very good translations but apart from that it just isn't meant to be in another language you lose all the nuance so now yeah. i've got control o over my own stuff there are absolutely no translations i'm really sorry for people who uh, who actually then can't then can't read the books? But you're not reading my mm -hmm. book. You're reading somebody's interpretation of it. Yeah. It's the same with abridged audio books. Um, a certain franchise I used to work for, uh, they had uh, the the audio versions had to go on discs. Uh, oh right, you know, okay. That old. Now we're, now now we're going back to old tech. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my books are very long, and they were approximately mm -hmm. almost double the length they could get on their requisite number of discs to go in the packaging that they had uh, to use. So that determined right. the length of the book, and it was abridged. Now, if you lose half a book, that is not the book I wrote. It no, was done no, very well. I, 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 I admire the people who did it. They, mm -hmm. they managed to get it into some sort of coherent form, despite taking so much out. But what was lost was all the characterization. And that's what I write. Yeah. That's you why do. people yeah. buy my books because they you want have a to very... read about the characters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yeah. like the way you write your characters is almost 
they use a lot of colloquialisms. Oh yeah, yeah, they, yes, yes. It gives them obviously it gives them character, doesn't it? Like yes, it, yes, it and that. you know what's going on in, in their head. Everything mm-hmm. I do is about the characters. I actually construct books like like games, actually more like computer models. I go back oh, even okay. further than that. You've got the um, techies now. You've got them hooked. <laughs> yeah. um, the, this, this sort of finally dawned on me when I was, I got an email from a reader saying, I listened to the audio version of such and such a book and I liked mm-hmm. it. Then I picked up the actual book and I can't believe how much I didn't get and how much, how much more emotional it was oh, because okay. the way I write is, is basically in the character's head. I, I start off with the environment. You know, where, where do I want to set this? Mm-hmm. And then I ask who would be, what sort of people would be in this place and this situation? And then I start building the characters from there. And right. in order to write, I've got to be in their heads. Um, I don't come up with the plot really and then fit characters in, in, into it. I see where mm-hmm. the characters take me. And they frequently take me somewhere I'm not expecting, you know, and it's like, I didn't know you were going to do that. Ah, okay, okay, I can, I can roll with that. And that must be really interesting when, when a character is. takes the reins from you as a writer. It is, it is. Now, you will hear people say that's not possible. The writer always has control. Well, doctors mm-hmm. have proved this isn't true. <laughs> um, there was a wonderful study done, I think, by a Canadian university in the last two years where, where they tested the whole thing about suppressing self with actors. With actors, they okay. got some actors and got mm-hmm. them to read through parts, and somehow they managed to uh, do a sort of MRI on them. Don't ask me how this happened. They must have had well, sort of like <laughs> these caps with wires on because you, you're not going to be able to see much inside no, an MRI no. in one. You know what they're like. But anyway, long story short, the the researchers found that when the when the actors were in character, the part mm-hmm. of the brain that, that was basically me 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 was 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 less active. It was actually suppressed and another part of the brain switched on. So they really did start to become someone else. And that's how I write. And it was lovely to see it actually vindicated and actually (laughs) measurable. This happened. You can suppress it. You're like, I've got proof. I've got proof. I'm not crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Proof. I've got a research paper here. But yeah, that's how I do it. So if you, once you take the characterization out, um, I mean, this, when I write thrillers, uh, because Mm -hmm. I, I also do thrillers, it's, it isn't so much who done it or even yeah. how done it because the, the reader sees all the characters going through all their different things. It's, it's actually why, why done it? Why done it? You yeah. see why they do things and why they make the stupid decisions they do like, like we all do. Yeah. And you can follow yeah. that character through. And, a, and, a, and a, a friend of mine in the States said, he said, this is like a pantomime. He said, this is like an English pantomime where you're yelling behind you. And you know, <laughs> Harry coming to you and it's like, they're going to do it. Oh, they've done it. Oh no, why did you do that? And that's what I'm really going for is to get them in the character's head because I'm in the character's head. Yeah. And yeah. it's really quite freaky. Once, I, I think I've always done this. It's one of the things, because I, I was a journalist for so long and also mm-hmm. as a kid, I always wanted to know, do other people see blue the same way I see blue? If I can same. taste that, what do they taste? I was always curious about what it was to f- experience life as another person and whether we were looking at the same world. And I accepted that it wasn't. Um, I was back to that from an early age. Now, as a journalist and also working in PR, mm-hmm. uh, you you have to think like the other guy. This isn't uh, – if I use the word empathy, that sounds all sort of uh, warm and cuddly. It's not a warm and cuddly skill because it's exactly the same thing you, you use as a, as a 
as a detective in the military, yeah. thinking like the enemy. It's being able to suppress your sense of self and think like the other person. And and that's, as I say, that's the way I write. That's the fun of it because mm. you actually visit the weirdest place in the world, which is another person's brain. And I don't wow. want to write about okay. people like me. I want to know what it is to be the 90-year-old spy, spy master. I want to know what it is to be the 14-year-old son of you know, superheroes. I want to know what it's like to be um, someone who's you know stuck a long way from home and they know they're never going to see the family again. That sort of thing. Yeah, you have to find and an interest in that. <laughs> living that, just for the period of, of that scene, because I normally have a cast of about it normally works out about eight characters. Mm -hmm. They've all got a POV, a point of view, and I write very tight third uh, POV, uh, which means it's effectively like they're, they're first person, but it's lots of their first persons, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. And when I've, um, some of the, some of the best, some of the most interesting characters to do technically are the most vile people. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and that's a really good thing. But sometimes, you know, if you're doing a really bad tempered and aggressive person or something like that, it's, um, it can, it can, it can take a while to shake off. And when I finish a scene with a particularly difficult character, cause I've mm -hmm. been in their head thinking it's perfectly normal to go and, and massacre an entire village. You know, I'm thinking this is normal. I'm, I'm justified. Yeah. I can do this. I have to come out afterwards and think, no, that was that. You, yeah, you need to not to be, like you know, snap at people yourself. in Tesco and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, massacring Tesco just ruins your day. It really it does. It really does. So much. Like, so much. But do you find actually, it like, like, do you find it hard, like with, I suppose, getting into someone's mind like that must be, not not an, do you, do you ever find it like arduous to do that? Because I, I, I obviously you said you used to be a journalist. So yeah. do you think that made you naturally curious to look Yes. More in depth, that characters like that. Yes, I'm never, I'm never sure whether you become a journalist. I mean, bear in mind, I'm talking about in 2009. Yeah, it would have been 2008, 2009. Um, right. I can't remember when uh, Gears of War three came out. Was that 2012? I think that was 12 as well. Because I think that was why we noticed like, oh, this book kind of bridges bits between the other yeah. games. Yeah, and uh, it's they are amazing pieces of like law between each part of the games that you would otherwise have completely missed and like they were some of my favorite books that i read you know growing up as an early gamer at that point and i, I read through all five back to back like yeah. <laughs> non-stop they are brilliant brilliant books yeah. so thank you for writing those honestly they are yeah i mean one, one of the things i mean um it was this was purely by chance uh mm -hmm. i mean I know that your emphasis is gaming, so... Um, we we do everything, it's not just games, this. so don't, yeah. don't worry. Uh, you, you won't mind me telling this story. Uh, you may well have heard it before. Um, I was approached... I mean, I've never gone after franchise work. People ask me to do it, I look at the money and I go, yes. Now, I, that's not the best... <laughs> That's not the best career plan for a writer, but I needed mm -hmm. to eat. So yes. that's fine. And I'm, not, and I'm, 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 I'm sort of satisfied now... I can look back at it and say I did the very best that I could with the material I had, which you know, which is fine. Gears was a really easy one to work on. I'll tell you why later. But um, I, I got this approach from a publisher I did not particularly care much for because of okay. late payments. And they said, "Oh, would you? Could you do us a favour? Could you do this for us?" Um, and, I, and they said, "It's a game." I said, "What is it?" I said, "I'm not. You know, you and I, we are not in the best diplomatic situation." Mm. What is it? And they said it's called Gears of War. Now, I make a point of not watching or playing things because when, when I was doing franchise work, the last thing I wanted was to know anything about the particular property as a customer. 
because I don't see it okay. the same way. I have mm-hmm. to do it. Uh, effectively, have to be a journalist. I have to say, what's the story? I'm going to go in and interview those people, and I'm going to write about it and give the most balanced view of what all these people have said. I've got to explore. Otherwise, I'm not interested. If I know what it is, I've already got mm-hmm. all my prejudices, and I know too much to be useful. Right, anyway, okay. I, I hadn't heard of Gears of War, and mm-hmm. I thought, I know who I can trust. I can trust Jerry at uh, at Penny Arcade. <laughs> so I contacted Jerry at Penny Arcade and said, look, no names, no pack draw. If I said Gears of War to you, what would you say back to me? And he knew why I was asking, obviously. He said, it's <laughs> Travis Town. He said, do it. <laughs> so I, I then thought, okay. Uh, I looked, Well, thank you, Jerry, it I, seems. Yeah. I did a search online and I found uh, videos and I found mm-hmm. what turned out to be the advert. You know, it's, uh, the Mad World's advert. The 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 very first one. Uh, what was yeah, it? Stream, it um, Mad Mad World. Mad World. Yeah, Mad it's World a brilliant one. trailer. Brilliant trailer. And I watched that, and I remembered it because mm. I when when I used to have a telly, which I haven't had for a few years, I would <laughs> had it on in the in the corner of the room for what I call newsroom noise, so I didn't okay. have absolute silence. And I remember I was I was working on something one night, and I it just caught my eye, and I watched this video and thought. What has happened to that world? Who's he? And I was fascinated. But then I forgot it. And when I saw it again, I thought, yes, I can work with this. I can write you something just from that, just from what I've seen in the trailer. Um, And I said, yes, I'll do it. And I just hit it off immediately with Mike Caps and everybody at Epic. And I said, all right, I'll do Aspho Fields for you. Um, What is the battle? What's it about? And they said, well... We want you to tell us. All we know is that is that Carlos was killed. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, we've left. So you give them free reign, pretty much. Then totally. They were really good at not trying to fill in gaps. They wanted right, to leave themselves okay. maneuvering room and organic story growth. You know, the mm-hmm. worst thing you can do. I mean, this is my opinion, obviously, yeah, and yeah. Uh, other opinions are available. <laughs> the worst thing is, I think, a company that starts to do the whole story bible before they've told any story. And because it's yeah. so random. Now, you can fit all that together and make a coherent story out of it. Um, you, can, you can retcon anything, more or less. I mean, there are mm-hmm. limits, but... Um, I don't know. Look at Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, so to have a company that said, we want a storyteller to tell the story. Yeah. And we've just put in what we needed to, to give good gameplay and a good sto- story for the game. Uh, so I did Asphalt Fields and... And I went on and did the rest, but I also did the comics and I did story consultation yeah. and I did all sorts of things. And I did the third game. I was lead writer on the third game. And what we did was spread the complete story over all the different media. Now, that yeah. was quite brave, I think. Um, I was I was sort of gung-ho for it at the time. Looking back on it, I meet so many people now who go, I don't want to read a comic. I don't do comics. And you think, yeah. You know, there does come a point where you can't lead people to look at uh, a different format that they're not comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, that, that's so, completely understandable because people don't want to pick up. Some people just aren't interested in that kind of thing, and if, if especially yeah. with comics, like I, I found this myself, where the comic may have been very good or interesting, and this obviously isn't about like I've read the Gears of War comics, I like them, I like the art style, but there's other series that I've come across where. I didn't read it because I couldn't get on board with the art style, you know, when they yeah. change something yeah. oh, and it's yeah, like, yeah. it just doesn't sink in the same. And I think maybe that's why, like, like with novels, it's, it's really nice that you, you have it all in your head, 
you know, yes, that's you, it. Yeah, yeah, you create yeah. the image yourself. Yeah, but absolutely. Going into like when you when you went into a franchise like Gears of War, for example, it must have been really interesting to see the characters that you create, like like Bernie, for example, in in Aspo Fields, because she's introduced in that book, I think, if I'm yeah. if I'm correct. And then obviously you brought her into Gears of War three, which was amazing to see after I'd been reading the books and then knowing this character and then seeing her pop up. And I actually didn't realize at the time that you had written the game as well because I was so young. I was just sort of like, well, just it just You're sort of passed me feel right. Really old. <laughs> <laughs> so young, it might not even that have been young. <laughs> I was just at the point that I was still stupid, maybe. <laughs> uh, but oh, it, it was a brilliant yeah. game. It was uh, it was nice, and you you could see that you could see the change in narrative expertise because the the first two games where they they have story. They're, the story is very much orientated around the the action. It's sort yeah. of more driven by the action, whereas three, where it has amazing action as well, there is a lot more emotional beats in there that obviously draw on the books that you had written up to that point. So, like, how how different was it moving from the books to writing for a game? You know, like working with a big team, for example. Um. I was actually happier working with a team because I was used to a newsroom and a group of people and it was nice. Oh, one, okay. That's one of the nice things about franchises is, is mm-hmm. particularly games, if you're working with a team, it actually feels nicer. I'm, I'm just one of these people who are actually quite... I, I definitely like working with people with different disciplines as well. That's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think if you're working with, with other writers, you've got to be the sort of person who's willing to work with another writer and I'm not. Okay. Uh, because so much is in my head, and it, well, you know, because obviously with the method that I've described to you, I've got to be mm-hmm. in that character's head. There's no way that I can share that with someone else. Yeah, you know, if someone a, says, "Oh, no actually, I want to do this," you kind of like, "Well, I hadn't, I hadn't planned that," yeah. you know. Yeah, right, but okay. um, certainly, you know, working with artists and sound people and all the mocap, um, I, I just, I just learned an enormous amount. I'd sort of come from, I'd had to come from a TV background, but mm-hmm. you know, so I could, I was sort of like halfway there, but. It was so nice to be able to to see a story in a sort of different structure, and of course, as I do the um, the sort of uh, computer model type approach to stories anyway, it wasn't that different for me because okay. I could see all the story trees. Yeah, you know, that's that's how I work. So that was yeah. quite natural for me. Uh, I mean, there obviously was a very strong story in there, so it's not like. Um, you know, you can go off and do a sort of sandbox type game with it, but because you you had to get to a certain point. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah I, I I I I actually I found it. Um, they let me do everything basically, and when mm-hmm. I say everything, um, uh, Rob Ferguson would Rod, Rod would go. Uh, do you want to write something for the uh, for the action figure packet? Do, do, do you want to do that? Yes, please. And do you want to do this? Yes, please. Do you want because I wanted to do it all. And yeah. I think that's what made it so good. That while I was doing it, I was thinking, this this will only happen to you once. This is not going to happen again. This is that. This is the conjunction of the planets. It was the right people, the right place, the yeah. right IP. And I just knew it was one of these things, one of these summers that was going to end one day. But I always be able to look back and say, "I'm really glad I did that, and I worked with some great people, and it was very rewarding, and I'm proud of what we did." We had this hive mind thing. I, I have mm-hmm. to tell you this because I, I regularly think of this, and I try to ex- explain it to people. Um, and I really need a sort of cognitive uh, scientist to explain how this works with humans. But okay, the best way I can describe it is. Um, we all knew what we all knew what the story was without knowing that we knew and without even thinking about it. This is really weird. Oh, I found weird. this for the first time when 
I was shown some of the uh, concept art uh, for Gears 3, and one of them was Prescott's office. He's got, you know, it's all this heavily panelled wood and the beautiful yeah. carpet and everything. And I looked at it and I said to the artist, I love it, but but the carpet's wrong. And it just came out like that. And okay. I said, oh, I didn't tell you. Now, because I didn't tell him, I'd never told anybody. He couldn't have known this in advance. When I wrote Aspho Fields, there's a scene where I think it's Hoffman goes in to see Prescott. And I, I think I described the I, I was going to describe the carpet. So the carpet was in my head. I saw this carpet as Hoffman walked in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, I can't remember whether it was an Indian style and it was Chinese in the game or the other way around. But this carpet was very vivid. And every time I had Prescott in his office when I was writing, I'd see this carpet. And when I saw right. the artist's <laughs> carpet, it was the carpet that I picked on and said, that's wrong. But the rest of the office was right, and it was exactly what was in my head, and I hadn't seen any of this art before. And there was this really freaky moment when I thought, we've both seen the same thing. We haven't talked about it. We've both seen the same thing in our heads. That's so and, strange. Yeah, this happened at every meeting. We would have these, we would have these creative meetings, and uh, uh, it was almost like we'd all really lived there once and had forgotten it, and now yeah, the and memories some- were coming back to us. <laughs> well, I think it's a testament to the power of of the of the design of the game. I mean, the visual design. It is yeah. such a well realized world. Uh, I always say, oh, if you is. give me one picture, mm-hmm. I can write you a novel based on it because everything I need is in there. I can extrapolate from pictures, That's and I think it was so powerful. Their their art was so powerful. It was. It's based on Manchester. A lot of the architecture, isn't it? I believe. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know Cliff said once uh, they were going for the, for the for the European vibe. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly not very European. I don't think I have. I don't think we ever said Man- Manchester. Maybe that's true. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm sure I read that you know, somewhere. Someone could have told cause... me, and I would have forgotten. But you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, they definitely went for sort of uh, faded glory European sort of vibe, and yeah, everything was there. You, you just had to like go and move move a bit of furniture or step around a tree and there's the rest of the story. It was, it was absolutely magical. I don't know any other medium. Sorry. Uh, I don't know any other franchise in the West that has pulled that off like that. No, and it's no. just a small detail. I think a lot of people may, I mean, unless you've heard the story, then you don't see the sort of depth of, of, of what we're in, into it. But, you know. Yeah, I'll think of that now. Next time I play through it, I'll definitely, uh, I'll pick up on that and take real note of Prescott's carpet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You see what I mean? It's just yeah. really weird, weird the way the brain works. But there was enough information coming out of that art. I think for us all, it, it was, it had the vibe. It had yeah. all the characters sort of, spirit and soul of it and everything that sounds i realize that sounds really arty but i genuinely it does mean sound it very arty. yeah no i i know what you mean though because it's uh it's something i've experienced before but in a in a different medium and i think it it just pays tribute to when you get into a perfect flow of creativity so yeah. like I, i'm a musician as well so I've, I've played in bands and there's there's been a couple of instances like that where you fit together with a certain group of other yeah. musicians and you can improvise with all the chord changes, all the beat changes, even time signature changes, and you all do it on the fly and it just yeah. works. So I, yeah. I, I get what you mean. I That's you. exactly the same thing. I yeah. mean, I'm not, I'm not a musical person, but uh, I know exactly <laughs> what, what you mean there. It's just, it, it's just everything comes together perfectly and you don't, and you, you can't necessarily do that to order. I mean, you can try very hard and get yeah. 90% of the way, but, but when, when you're in the zone and that magic comes in, mm-hmm. there's nothing like it. It's, it's, it's incredibly thrilling. 
Yeah, it's hard to draw on it. I know. It's, I, I, have you always done? I was going to say because you said before that you you would just take, you'd like you took this job on the pay packet and someone's reaction to the name. Have you always like been interested in sci-fi stuff? Because you've, I guess, more recently that a lot of your work has been sci-fi orientated. Uh, yeah, I mean, I sort of went um, when I decided to write full time. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I cover this as quickly as I can. I absolutely okay. hated my day job at the time. Okay. Um, I would rather have eaten worms than carry on the day job. I was on a training course, uh, which was for uh, gearing people to be public sector chief execs. I was in PR then. You can imagine uh, public sector. Sounds (laughs) thrilling. Oh, boy. Um, And I just knew I was – I just knew I had to get out again and go back to something media related. Mm -hmm. And I said to the guy who was was managing the course, who was a consultant – uh, who I owe everything to, actually, because he was the man who pressed the button. Malcolm McGreevy. If you're listening, Malcolm, good Shout on you, mate. You, I, I will never forget you. Um, <laughs> I said to him, I'm not really cut out to be a chief executive of a public sector body. Uh, I would rather die. <laughs> uh, I said, but I'm actually, so, I'm, so I'm actually wasting money and time here, your money and mm. time, public's money and time, being on this course. I said, I think I need to pull out of it. And he said, he said, no, I can uh, – sorry, I should, didn't say his uh, his purpose was to give uh, sort of career guidance and, uh, to these you – know, to us burgeoning executives. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, he said it's perfectly valid, he said, to, to work out a way for you to get out because that's just as valid in terms of public service. Yeah. No, he's, I'm not entirely sure he actually put it that way. But I said, fine. So we sat there. And he sort of said, what else do you do? What would you like to do? And he went through all these things. It was like, do you want to go back to being a journalist? Now I'm too old to, to, to chase fire engines. Do you want to go back mm-hmm. to this? No, I don't want to go back to TV. Do you want to do this? Um, so, okay. Um, have you got any hobbies? And, of course, like most journalists, ex-journalists, the hobby's the job. Yeah. And I'm like, no. And he said, you don't do anything? I said, well, oh. I was really struggling there. I said, I cook. No, I don't. Don't let me charge. Let me be a cook. <laughs> you know, these, these are all. These are all. I would have considered it. I would have considered a lot of things. Yeah, I sort of cook. Yeah. I like gardening. And I said, oh, I suppose I sort of wrote. I sort of written fiction in the past just for a laugh and didn't really. Like it. And he looked at me and said, "He said, and you don't think you can set that up as a business?" Uh, he said, "You know, have you never thought about writing fiction professionally?" He said, "You know, I need to do a business plan." You know how to do all this. Uh, you've got half the disciplines already from from journalism. Why do you do it? Yeah. And it was like I always say it was like the, the uh, sort of uh, Blake cloudscape parted and the light shone through <laughs> and the heavenly host sang. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. The light bulb came on, so I did a business plan and I did a bit of did a bit of research and did a bit of customer research and I decided to go for science fiction, setting us off a deadline of writing full time, which was a mistake. Never write full time. That's what mm-hmm. I thought. Uh, I wish I'd stayed part part time so I maintained some contact with the real world. But anyway, mm-hmm. I set myself this target and I met it. And I set myself a target for New York Times best bestsellers and I met it. And it was just a business. And I realized, yes, yes, you can do these things. You know, it's, so that's how I ended up doing it. And that's also, um, my, my first series, um, the Wessar books, uh, that, yeah. that is a six book series. I'd already sold the first three to Harper Collins when another publisher said, Oh, um, would you like to write some military stuff for us? And I oh, said, nice. okay. Yeah. Um, and that's how it happened. And 
I, I then became the go-to girl for blokes in unfeasibly large pieces of armor. Yeah, um, it seems so. But, I mean, the, the money came in and and sort of sitting at a desk, beat, uh, sort of commuting 160 miles a day to do the other jobs. So yeah, so that's wow. what I did. Um, it sounds like yeah. a great choice that you made. I mean, you've you've written for some of the biggest franchises in gaming history altogether. Yeah, yeah. Like the, yeah. I want to touch on the the Halo books, if that's yeah. okay, Kilo Five trilogy, because. As as much as I said that I love the Gears of War um, series that you did, I think the Kilo Five probably is my favourite. Uh, yeah. so it was Glasslands, Thursday War, and Mortal Dictator, I believe, that's is their, yep, their titles. Um, I love how deep they went into like the espionage with Doctor Halsey and making the Spartans, and yeah. the way you write characters for those for, for any of the kind of like the secretive characters like Osman and Parangoski are so much. You inject a lot of fun into serious concepts as well. And there's one character in particular that I, I imagine other people have mentioned this character, obviously, to you before. It's BB. To be oh, able Black to. Box, yeah. yeah, Black Box, <laughs> the AI for the ship. To be able to write like an omnipresent character that can be in multiple places at once and then recompile himself must have been very difficult to plan. Like, how did you even do that? <laughs> Well, I actually needed BB more than, more than the book did. <laughs> um, oh, right. it's, uh, I was, I was. I'm going to be frank. I don't like writing about Spartans in, mm-hmm. the, in the sort of superhero thing. I, I'm yeah, not yeah. interested. Um, I have to write about ordinary people or extraordinary people with difficulties and who, who both do extraordinary things. Yeah. Um, so I was a little bit lukewarm about Spartans, and I said, "Well, okay, yeah. I will, I will do this, but I want to do regular sort of." I mean. That's what I like the ODST thing. I saw that and I thought, yeah, I can do that. I can not. I can. I can. I can nail a few ODSTs in. Yeah, and it was a great as choice. As they let me do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, that's that um, trailer that they did. Oh, the live action one. Yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that's brilliant. that just made it look so much more interesting than Spartans. Mm-hmm. So much more relatable, and uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, my my speciality is military fiction, um, mm-hmm. obviously. And I've come. I've sort. Of, I've got a lot of uh, defence con- contacts. I used to be a defence journalist, all those sorts of things. So that was really mm-hmm. what I liked doing. That's where I'm comfortable. Those are the people I'm comfortable with. Right. And I found the Spartans possibly um, a little bit too, a little bit too plastic. That sounds awful. Cause, no. Uh, well, no. I know what you mean. They they're like the the kids' toys that can't be beaten. Basically, that's it. like that's it. there's yeah, no yeah. threat. It's like Superman. It's very. It's a lot of people say it's very hard to make a, a Superman film because there isn't a real threat behind that's a it. man who and can't yeah, be killed. That's exactly it. Drama is based on the real risk of the character dying or mm-hmm. not being able to do something. But you, there has got to be threat. There's got to be the risk of failure. Uh, otherwise, things get very bland. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, and that's something I, I, have, I, <laughs> I have touted these books to so many people on, on the, the statement that this book... The, this book series could take place in any universe because it's about the normal characters in what yeah. is going on in the overarching story. And that is what makes it interesting. It could take place in 1555 and it wouldn't make a yeah. difference. You yeah, know, it's soldiering still interesting. Has, soldiering hasn't changed much. The, the, no. uh, the technology has, but, but the fundamental basics of being willing to die for something and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the, uh, the very close bonds, the incredibly close bonds, the whole thing about what it is to serve. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Service humor. Um, 
I'm sure that hasn't changed. As I say, just Probably the sort of details change, but I'm sure that hasn't changed. It's the same job that needs to be done. So, yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember my father reading another one of my franchises um, and saying, basically, he, he said, if, if, I, if I ignored the bit about, and he mentioned the particular um, uh, science fiction anime, he said, I'm, I, am, I am basically reading Bravo 2-0, aren't I? <laughs> because he just read it as a war story. And that's yeah. how I write them, as a war story. And I think there, are a lot of, there, there is a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I'd written a conventional war story, I don't think it would have made quite the impact on people, but but if it's within a franchise that where their radar's down, you know, they're not going to resist mm-hmm. this. They're going to just read it as it is. I think it's easier for them to then start to understand what it is to serve. Um, I've always said my my duty when I start writing fiction is to tell the truth because fiction yeah. is very dangerous because people's radar is down, which is why mm-hmm. it's used in propaganda, which is, which is why people have the most bizarre views of what the armed forces do because they have very little contact with the armed forces. Now, if you went back to the, uh, world war two and the fifties and the sixties, even everybody knew someone who had served or had served. It was very yeah. much part of the fabric and they understood a lot more. Now we've got a separate, you know, we've got such a small armed forces and it's happened to the States as well. There are people Mm -hmm. who never meet anyone in uniform and human beings, we like to fill that vacuum. We we need to fill that information vacuum. So what's there? Bad journalism and fiction, which are pretty well indistinguishable in some cases. (laughs) And it's like, no, I just want to tell the truth here. And that's why it really, really matters to me. I have a very large military readership and they always say, those are people that I have served with. That's what's happened. Yes, thank you for telling the truth. That's <laughs> and, amazing. And that that's really, really cool. That's the only reason I carried on writing. I could have. I, I was almost at the point because of, you know, say the usual sort of business hoo-ha and sort mm-hmm. of difficulties with large companies. I thought, do I really need to do this in, in, anymore? I mean, I could go off and do something else. I could, I could go, I don't know, find plenty of other things to do and plenty of other businesses to run. But I thought, no, because I, I owe it to those guys. I really yeah. do. Um, especially when they've written to me and said, this has really helped me deal with this or deal with that because fiction's great for that. Uh, if you, you know, you can read a about escape, other people's yeah. issues yeah. and it's an easier way of dealing with, with your own. And that to me is the sort of greatest uh, I'm really grateful. I mean that literally. This isn't some sort of sort of um, show busy sort of comment. I am grateful to those men for letting yeah. me do that. Yeah, for giving me the time to, yeah, uh, for for taking the time to read the book and and letting me write that story, and then getting something from it that has justified my existence. I really do mean that. So they they've basically kept me going. It's uh it's great that you have touched people's lives like that with with the having a creative medium, you know, that they, they can find such meaning in, in the actual work itself. And I wanted to know that like with you having such a big background with the people who do serve, is there anyone whose like personality has fallen into characters that you've been writing? Like, is there anyone who you've based characters on in real, if, if you can say that, if you feel comfortable, obviously. Uh, no, I've, I have, I have never based, um, a character on a real person. Oh, wow. Okay. Never done it because it just doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work for me. Uh, I mean, okay. your mileage may vary sort of thing, but it doesn't okay. work for me because I've got to build them. I've got right. to build it myself okay. uh, for yeah. them to make sense. Now, the problem problem with taking a real person is mm-hmm. that they're never, however amazing they are, there are still bits that don't fit in the story. Um, yeah. When I used to, when I used to give talks on writing, one of the ways I, 
I used to say, be careful about the real world. Is you know, fiction has to make sense, the real world doesn't. Okay. And that is actually that is. It sounds like a joke, but it isn't. Um, there's a lot. It's knowing what to leave out. And when you're writing about a real person, I, I would have found it very hard to leave out all those other bits because it's all those things that make that person that person. And it may not look relevant to the story, but as far as I'm concerned, it has been part of the fabric that has, that has made them. So, but you don't really need those pieces. It's it's like if you if you ask a small child um, to do a view of an elephant seen from a helicopter. And right. you say, draw me an elephant. You're, you're in the helicopter. What can you see? Up to a certain age, they will always draw what looks like a tiger skin rug. <laughs> they will have <laughs> the elephant with the, the trunk out the front because the trunk's there. Yeah. They're not wrong. There is a trunk. There are four legs. There is a tail. But they show them all because they know that's what makes up the elephant. Yeah. They haven't learned what to leave out so that you get like a figure eight. Okay. Because that's yeah, all you'd say. And yeah. this is the best way I can explain the process is that um, it's easier to do that figure eight aerial view of the elephant if you start from scratch. Now, I have a friend who I work with in TV who went on to become a very successful novelist. There were quite a few of them, actually. There were quite a few of us from that from a, from a, from a paper I worked on when he went on to do these things. But oh, right. yeah, we all escaped <laughs> to fiction. Um, this, this particular guy, great guy. I used to enjoy working with him. And he started doing um, very, very. I say local stories. He would, he would, he would use local characters, um, which did actually, I, I believe, give him a few problems when he started doing <laughs> very real crime stories because yeah, some would recognise yeah. themselves, and he had to move his office. Um, that's, not, <laughs> that's another one. But he he would base in one particular book. He had based so many people on real people that. Everyone I was working with would go through it and go, oh, we know who that is. Oh, that is. Oh, no way. And it may not have come across as a reader, but when you read it yourself, you think, none of those details he's put in are relevant. They're what he thinks about that person. But yeah, he absolutely sold load, loads of books. So who am I to compare? I'm just saying yeah. it's not how I would do it. I'm, you know, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying that's not how I work. I have to have an entirely fictional world to explore. The other thing is if you base things on real people, you start – you're not you're not seeing the story you're seeing that reality and you need to keep them, oh well i i need to keep them separate i need to keep yeah, them very yeah. separate mm -hmm. now okay, yeah. that's not to say that i don't use the real world i mean i like it to be as factually correct as i can make it mm -hmm. so i am in, informed by real things that happen but not by real people i keep a very strong firewall between the two Right. Okay. Well, I suppose that's a good way to do it. Otherwise, you might end up like your friend and have to move away to a different town every time you write a book. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. There'd be a lot of that. Yeah. That's what yeah. Worries. I actually wanted to ask, saying about characters, you know, saying that you you don't yeah. you don't um, base them on on real people. Do you ever find yourself hearing the voices of the characters that you write? And I don't mean oh. that in like a, a, a weird psychological way. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, this is actually a question from my dad who I promised I would ask for him because BB has a very particular voice and we both said the same thing, which is really unusual. Again, we like the creativity thing. Yeah. We both heard it and this might be completely wrong. So feel free to say no as Michael Fassbender as David from Prometheus really weirdly. I've, I'll make a confession to you. I've never heard the audio. Oh, right. Okay. I made a point of not listening. Um, I heard the sample, mm -hmm. and it was um, Ewan. Oh, what's his name? 
I'm sorry, I've gone blank now. I have to. You uh, and you and you and you and you and. Sorry, I'm just leaning out. To, just, just, just one sec. Let me have a look at the bookshelf. You and Morton. Should I do apologise. You <laughs> and Morton. You and is brilliant. Um, I, I loved his voice. Um, he did the first of my Ringer books, okay. as well. Um, fantastic voice. I haven't gone through all the all the all the, all the books yet. One of the things is um, probably makes more sense. If I refer back to Gears, uh, mm-hmm. that makes more sense because I was also working with the with the voice artists at the same time. Um, I never listened to any of the audio books of Gears because the right, voice okay. had been wrong. Yeah, I got yeah. so used to those voices, and I actually heard the actors' voices when I was writing. Yes, I do definitely hear the voices. <laughs> it's their meter. It's where they stop and breathe. It's yeah. it's gestures that go with it. I'm actually watching a video in my head when I'm writing. If you see what I mean. Yeah, that's a great way to do it. I'm I'm a very very visual person myself as well. Like I I've worked in television and um, obviously did game stuff as well. So that's when I'm writing anything creative myself, whether it's the little cartoons that we've done for the podcast or the novels that I'm working on. It's very much the same. I do see it in my mind. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a of watching the characters and following them. Yeah, and you can't do that. I mean, people say. People talk about the white room. You should never have a white room in your book. I said, who has a white room? As soon as I, as soon as somebody puts their key in the door in my books, I can see the whole house. I've got yeah, to see yeah. it in 3D. I have to – the times I have drawn out three-dimensional maps to work out how people get, get through houses, it, it, I, I have to think in 3D. I, I'm also right. visual. I prefer comics and, uh, and films uh, to, to books. I'm not ashamed to say that. I don't, I don't read prose fiction. I right, read comics. Okay. Uh, I, I read manga, I watch a lot of anime, but um, there's nothing wrong with not reading novels. It's just not yeah. what I choose to consume. In the same way that I can, I can probably make quite quite a decent uh, fried fried liver dish, but I would, I, I would never eat it. You know, <laughs> so on these things, it's about, you know, um, it's a different part part of my brain that's doing it. So right, yeah, okay. so yes, yes, it is visual. Uh, yes, I also hear them. And, you know, right at the start, you asked me about um, how do I feel about audiobooks. And mm-hmm. when they are, d- I think they're great. They are a separate thing, though, because when you are someone like me who writes a novel with a lot of short lines of dialogue where you know you're going back and forth between two people, you, when you do that as an audiobook, that's quite a challenge, especially when these characters have got are either the same gender and the same accent. It's very hard for the voice art artist to differentiate. Is, yeah. Okay. So I've I've now the the the, the change it's wrought in me um, mm-hmm. temporarily is that I've I've realised I'm doing a lot more dialogue tags. I'm actually saying said so and so or put on marking them wrong. And okay. to a certain extent, you lose when you are reading the text. The reader doesn't get that speed of the exchange. The audio reader. It's much clearer for them. So they're not necessarily the same product. I, I, I do believe the same words should be in both. But yes, the effect totally. is no, very different. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, so the effect is very different. When, when you wrote for BB then, did you, what did you hear for his voice initially? Like, do, I, I, I'm trying to think of the best way to word it. Um, I'm trying to think what the voice he had in my head. He, he was yeah. uh, um, a bit like Leslie Phillips, actually. <laughs> Leslie, I don't even know who that is. Oh, well, this is it. You see, this is this is why what what is old is new. Leslie yeah. Phillips is or was. I'm, I'm not even sure if he's still with us. I mean, if if he is, he's extremely old. He was okay. uh, he was he was he was a, he was a he was a stage, radio, and screen actor. 
um, who always played these very dapper char- characters. He was a bit, he was frightfully like that. And uh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Ding that's dong. that was his favourite pun punchline. Yeah, that's saw, pretty much. Said, ding dong. Yeah, okay. So that's pretty much so what we were thinking. So if anything, Leslie Phillips's voice. I sort of yeah. Leslie Phillips's voice. That's pretty spot on <laughs> to what we were thinking. Almost like Hal Nine Thousand if he was wearing a bow tie and a little more. Emotional. <laughs> um, well, a, a, a lot more emotional. Yeah, um, a lot more. Yeah, yeah. The thing about how yeah. is that how how is very bland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is. He is. Yeah. I mean, I I love the character. Like, it's one of my favourite films. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I, that's I, one of the things that started me on science fiction. Actually, was watching that when when I was a kid. I actually went to the cinema on my oh, own wow. at a very early age, and they let me in, and I watched it, and I thought, wow, this is quite something. Although I think my a lot of my um, sort of foundation thinking about science fiction came Mm -hmm. a lot earlier than that. Although I don't really enjoy science fiction. I don't enjoy science fiction movies. Um, I watch them sometimes because, you know, sort of professional interest. And if I start reaching for the notebook and swearing, I'm writing down all the things (laughs) I hate about it and why the characters suck and why the situation is ridiculous. And I have to take that as my entertainment. Right, right. (laughs) Nice. That's so cool. Uh, I mean, sorry, I've been talking about Ewan. I mean, Ewan, Ewan, Ewan is a fantastic voice actor, and uh, those Halo, uh, those Halo books, um, fans loved loved the performance. And he, I mean, he was as popular as the books, which is great. I actually haven't listened to the audio books yet. I've I've only read them, but I, I will definitely get onto yeah. that because I, I, like I said at the start of the show, I don't know if this bit will be in the episode as it we spoke a little bit beforehand. Um, I did listen to The Best of Us most recently, yeah. which is actually read by Baird's voice actor from Gears of War. Yes, I know. Yes, I asked for him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a really nice little tie-in, yeah. yeah. So you so actually Fred, asked for him, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. The, well, someone said, who, who would you like? And I said, if you can get Fred Tattershaw, I will be a very happy woman. Fred is a wonderful guy, um, superb to work with, but the most amazing voice uh, as I say but there are lots of people who are fun who are you know they're, they're okay at their jobs Fred is a genius Fred is a, is a sound machine I have never known anyone with that range it's not human it's just it's his like his accents he's got some, all over different voice he's brilliant he really really is he can do everything from an elderly black woman because some of some of some of some of Cole's mum's lines were him Oh right! I about two lines. I I don't even know if they went in the game. Uh, but I mean, he can do he can do any gender. He can do any species. He can do any age. I mean, a lot of actors can. I mean, we were. It's only when you start to see the actors you don't see on that you don't see in movies that you see actors who do this every day that you realise what an actor really is. Yeah. That yeah, they can, totally. that they're not them. That they're being all these different people and the range of voices. And you know, there, there was one guy who'd say, "Do you want me to age that up or down?" And and he could do it. And I was, I just sit there because we, I, I went over to Technicolor when we were doing the, when we were laying down soundtracks, yeah. because they wanted the writer there, you know, because the number of changes you need to make at the last minute, um, and it was one of the best uh, few months of my life. I, just really? watching voice actors working, and Fred, Fred is, Fred is the greatest. Whenever I see him on the credits, I always stand of uh, cartoons and I always stand up now and cheer. Fred, yay! Amazing, that's so cool. He's so good. There was one day when, um, before we started recording, uh, I hope you won't mind me telling this story because it just shows his sheer genius. Um, I think think it was the producer, the sound producer said, could you do me a favour? He said, I've got a friend going for an interview. Um, Could you sort of record a little good luck message for her because it really mean a lot. And Fred, off the top of his head, suddenly ad-libbed, 
an entire string of answer phone messages from all these different characters. And really? he even he even did a vocoder voice with wow. I mean with his voice. <laughs> with his voice. And I'm That's sat so there good. watching this like a dog watching someone singing. You know, if you, if, you, if you go up to a dog and you sing and the dog's yeah. looking at you and that's how I was looking at Fred. I was thinking, where are those sounds coming from in that <laughs> man's anatomy? Yeah. It was breathtaking, but he was also funny and ad, and ad, ad-libbing with it. And it was, I'm, I'm glad I saw it. If anyone had told me it had happened, I would have said, yeah, they, no, they must, have, they must have done some treatment on that, on, on that sound. No, he did it in one take without anything fancy. He just did it. And it was a, a beautiful, glorious, magical thing to listen to. And God, the really good thing about Fred, of course, is that um, Fred would always give you three takes of uh, of Baird. He would he would do different readings of the actual script, and then he'd ad lib one. And the number of times I sat there and said, "Can we just keep that ad lib?" <laughs> he's a naturally funny man, a naturally yeah, funny yeah. guy. But also, he's, this he's great as a character. Yeah. yeah, he's he's brilliant as bad, like touching on Gears of War again. He's that's he's one of the most uh, snarky characters ever to exist yeah, that has uh, taken my heart. Yeah, uh, huge fun to write. Tragic character, really. Definitely, definitely very yeah. tragic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I thought I'd just throw in that little anecdote. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure the listeners would love to hear it. You know, Happy days. Uh, I, I want to. We need to touch on what you're working on next because we said like, I'm excited to know what's coming up next. If you can talk yeah. about it, well. Uh, Quite, quite a few things you've you've read the best of us or, or I you, have yeah you've you read it um, that's um, that was something I hadn't really planned to do um, and as usually it didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out and the characters went off and did their own thing it's always the way um, I was in the middle of uh, doing my th- my thriller series Ringer which is mm-hmm. a little bit SF and all on the corners. I mean, it's all like science, science thriller. It's set in the real world of real people okay. uh, in the present day. But this was, I got, I got uh, a message from Jason Ansbach, who, with Nick Cole, writes the Galaxy's Edge series, and he said, "Do you want to do something with us?" And I said, "I don't do franchises now, especially with armor. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, done with the armor days. <laughs> done with the armor, darling." And he said, "Oh, go on." And uh, it went back and forth a bit, and I said no. I mean, nothing. It, it wasn't a reflection on them. It was just that I've, as I say, my armor days are over. Yeah. And I really got on well with the two of them, and I thought, and the people you work with are equally as important as the book you turn out. I'm, I'm not prepared mm-hmm. to suffer for my art. You know, I've got okay. to be yeah, yeah. So I thought it'll be fun to work work with. Uh, I said, all right, I will do it. I said, as long as I don't. I don't have to do the armor bit. I'm not doing any more armor guys. You know, it's just, I just can't do it. Um, can I do something that's maybe a prequel that is so far away from what you're doing that we won't have any continuity problems and fall over each other? Because I've, I've also had, had that as well. I mean, with the best will in the world, even if you're really working closely together, if you're working on things separately, you're forever falling over things and you don't yeah. know what that person's doing in real time. You can't. Um, so even if people wish to cooperate with, with you, it's virtually impossible to do as far yeah. as I'm concerned with the level of detail that I go into. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. So we sort of found a safe a- area that I could work in, um, uh, ring fence for want of a better word. And this came about <laughs> because I said, look, can you just give me a quick summary of what it's about? Um, and he said, and there was just one line that he came out with that just, I thought 
oh, that's that's got my name on it. I'm having that. Uh, it was basically that uh, that the uh, the oligarchs, the technical oligarchs, had had gone and left Earth in a dreadful state, and they were using uh, these giant generation ships. And mm-hmm. obviously, they are not. They are traveling at sublight speed just all you know just generation ships yeah so those abandoned earth goodbye plebs goodbye sorry See about that you know we'll be back you know don't, don't you know don't don't call us and in the, in, the in, in their in their books there's just a reference to the fact that the plebs did in fact discover ftl propulsion and got mm-hmm. there to the promised land before clever the plebs. <laughs> and i thought yes i'm having that so i yeah. said would you mind if i did the prequel all around that and they said, no, fine, fine. So that's what happened. So that's why it doesn't bear any resemblance to the rest of the series. Because it's set about a thousand years before the main yeah, series. Yeah, see, I, I haven't read the, the other ones. I started with yours. So the ending has me very intrigued. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to spoil anything for any listeners no, who might read it. Well, the ending of The Best of Us, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, for those uh, for the listeners who want to know the reference there's an ai in it who is nothing like uh bb no. <laughs> quite the opposite actually yeah uh, and if anyone's thinking about the voice in my head for uh for for this character who's solomon it is something like gore vidal gore vidal's oh. voice is what i could hear when okay. i was writing uh, um i heard and, bishop from aliens weirdly i uh, see different cultural references he's quite caring because he, he, he's quite caring and he's like he's endearing caring. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. There's an sort of innocence to him. Yeah. I mean, he knows all these terrible things, but he has, he, has, he has to learn to do terrible things, and then he justifies them to himself. So he's yeah. a fascinating character because he's a moral AI. Oh, he is. don't let me finish this interview without telling you the moral AI story, which just okay. another weird, another Twilight Zone story. Anyway, uh, Solomon's picked this bunch of people who he thinks represents the best of humanity because that's what his creator told him to do. And uh, it doesn't quite fit in with other people's view of it. He likes no. soldiers and fighters. He says they are they are the people who will who will give everything for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they they are the best of humanity. So he's got this motley crew who he's he's ended up with for various reasons. Now, um, book two is Mother Death. I've just finished it. Oh, okay. It's vast. It's vast. Uh, it, it, it will be out very right. quickly, obviously, because being indies, we can shove these things out really fast. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go into any publishers or uh, bookstores book schedule. We can just get it out when it's ready to go. It's it's about, I'd say, about three average novels worth. I, I, I write long anyway, but this is long for me. This is long Three novels me. worth? Yeah. It's, it's, I couldn't – we did think – we did look at uh, splitting it. Me and the editor, you know, mm-hmm. and I said – I said, I can't see a place to split that. If you take the second half off, the first half is not the build-up to the issue. Sometimes you've got to write your opus, haven't you? Which is very aptly named. Yeah, I mean, I should have been shorter because if I've... I've, uh, It's actually... You make more money writing a lot of shorter books. uh, Mm -hmm. But I just had to tell the story the way it was because it it did get very complex. Right, okay. And the editor said, yeah, I can see your point. So I said, so I'm going for it as it is, which is going to make the audio very difficult because this is going to be a monstrously expensive audio if, you know, depending yeah. on how it's done. It'd be quite an expensive um, uh, print book as well because of the page count. Anyway, mm. but the, the, the point is that um, you, you obviously won't feel that uh, Im- impact uh, if it's an e-book because they're more realistically priced. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, that will be out fairly soon. Uh, that explains the end of – well, explains some of the end of The Best of Us because, yes, okay. it is a cliffhanger. Epilogues are always cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. 
It's a brilliant their, epilogue. I loved it. Or else they're like the epilogue at, at, at the end of Kilo 5. They really are the end. And that last line tells you everything about yeah. the preceding mm-hmm. three books. And anyway, so uh, that will be out. There, uh, there should be a third one. The actual books, uh, the, the the ones I'm writing uh, with the uh, Under the Galaxy's Ed, Edge Aegis are Nomad. Mm-hmm. And the, we originally said, yeah, we'll do a trilogy. Okay. Um, it will it will naturally be three books because you're only nomads for so long. Um, <laughs> so you settle then, down, then, yeah. Yeah, then it becomes something separate. But there, after after Mother Death, there will be another book. Uh, I'm going to try not to do that enormous length because <laughs> it's going to kill me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you will see what happens when uh, they go into the cosmos, basically, and what they don't know <laughs> amazing um, i can't these, wait karen i i want to buy one directly from you yeah. will you sign it for me please <laughs> i'll certainly do that the other thing i've now going back to for a while before i go back to nomad is get back to my rigor series um two books already out going gray and black run uh the third one sacrificial red is running very very late and i'm always apologizing to readers for this i'm apologizing again i'm really really sorry i mean it's just been it's been a really bad few years but mm-hmm. also i've I've had to do other things. but um, And also, I didn't like what I wrote the first time with Sacrificial Red, and I junked the lot. That is not unusual for me now. I keep wow. doing that. Wow, junked the so lot. The problem is when, when you haven't got an absolute deadline with a warehouse waiting mm-hmm. and a bookstore's waiting, you know, when you can do it anytime you like, yeah. I think I then start tinkering. And I never used to tinker. I used to write absolutely dead straight, book in five weeks, done, next. And now right. I started over, overthinking it. Um, I'm now trying to underthink it and be, you know, just right from the gut again. Yeah. But um, <laughs> basically, that's uh, that is what I call a techno thriller. Uh, it's uh, a a Royal Marine, former Royal mm-hmm. Marine, who's had to leave the service because of redundancies and didn't really want to. Okay. Uh, meets uh, the uh, absolutely mind-bogglingly wealthy son of a mind-bogglingly wealthy dynasty from the States, a senator's son, and they really okay. hit it off. And uh, they, you know, this is sort of bromance type thing that they get into a lot of scrapes, but they <laughs> end up having to rescue this teenage kid, and that's when it all, the world spirals out of control for them. And you, and, and you see this kid Ian Dunlop um, developing as quite an extraordinary character. So... Um, that I I had planned to have as a sort of running series. I was hoping to do an adventure mm-hmm. at a time. The problem with me is I start to see, I actually like to tell the whole story. I don't believe in jumping ahead a few years. I think you miss important things for the characters. So yeah. uh, I'd have to give some thought as to whether, I'm, whether when I eventually finish Sacrificial Red, whether book four will be uh, just an, a, a day in the life of or a month in the life of these wild characters doing okay. going on a mission or whether I continue that particular storyline so but anyway there will be more of those um i'm also i think now planning to do serials uh reason i'm thinking about that is because of the lead time on 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 me doing books uh uh as you as you get older uh you start to think i really need to get that book out there and i'm wondering whether just doing it in lots of doing a book in lots of small chunks and doing it as a serial and i know that Amazon, uh, yeah, Amazon in the States is doing, I think it's called, is it called Vella? They're doing that sort of, uh, they are doing an episodic format for American writers. They haven't extended it to UK writers yet. Oh, wow. I know that. Uh, even, even though my market is 95% American readers, um, yeah. 
it's not available to me. I mean, it's just one, one of these things. They, they, they do eventually roll it out to everybody. So yeah. I thought that would be an interesting thing because that's much more like doing radio or a soap. Um, you are committed to it a chunk at a time. You can't go back and go, oh, I think I'm going to change the first chapter. Too late. Work with yeah. it. You've done it. They've all heard it already. So yeah, It's um, like podcasting that. Once you've said something in episode six, when you're at like 120 like today, it's about like, <laughs> Yeah. Exactly, exactly, you know, and that's a totally different challenge. It produces a totally different sort of fiction. Um, it needs a different, it needs a whole different technique. And I, I, I like novelty. I like change. Um, yeah. When, when I'm one of these people that's, that thinks, am I, am I getting stale? Am I doing this too often? Uh, so I like to change up a bit. So I like to learn new things. Um, I'm also hoping to, uh, I think I'm going to do some audio shorts. I'm just going to see how, how those okay. go, uh, record uh, the anthology I've got of short stories, which was another thing I just threw through together at the last minute. I had all these short stories from way back, going, okay. uh, going back to the late 90s, uh, uh, early 2000, for people like um, Asimovs and Realms mm-hmm. of Fantasy and all this. And readers would say, we know you've done these short stories, but where are they? You know, And <laughs> trying to get hold of back copies. And I thought, one day I'm going to just take those manuscripts and I'm going to put them into a book. And it's of course, it's very easy yeah. now with 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 KDP I put it together in an, in an afternoon put a cover on it I didn't edit it because I thought it's a bit dishonest to, to, to polish it up mm-hmm. I wanted people to see where I'd come from as a writer and yeah. I just put that out and it did quite well oh, people good. still buying it so I thought I'm going to do an audio version of that it's a lot easier to read short chunks than it is to try and keep your voice standard throughout the characters for a novel um yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of work for for a narrator to do a novel, and I thought I'm never going to have that. Uh, I think audio uh, readers are much more forgiving of authors reading their own stuff because they feel what you lack in dramatic skill and mm-hmm. enunciation, uh, you make it up <laughs> for in the fact that you really, really know what's going on. This is yes. this is the yeah. genuine version. You know where the inflection needs to go. You know where the emphasis needs to go. So they're actually quite tolerant of uh, you know of, of uh, people. Having been a, a TV journalist, I have a, a very bad habit of going back into a man with a sofa. You know that sort of <laughs> delivery. So I try yeah, not yeah. to. I try to remember that you're reading characters. Uh, so I'm going to give that a go at some point, which okay, is why cool. which is why I got um, all the sound. I have <laughs> written on my hand. People on the camera can see uh, moral AI story. What was it you wanted to tell me? Fantastic, right? <laughs> As you know, Solomon in the Nomad trilogy is a moral AI. He's been created yes. to uh, make moral choices. Um, I have a friend, a German friend, who's also an author, and okay. uh, we talk a lot, and uh, we and we yeah, chat online, and we never talk about our books. <laughs> we never talk about our books we, we talk about everything mm-hmm. but you know um, mm-hmm. it's just one of these things that we just don't talk talk shop it's the escape friend it, yeah you know, uh, one, one day she said could you do me a favour um, my son's doing a thesis and he needs a few people to try something out and I said yeah sure do it yeah absolutely no problem now I, I had I had just finished The Best of Us she had no idea what was in it um, didn't know what I was working on and she said well he, he's, he's actually doing artificial intelligence. That's his thesis. And, wow, he's, gonna work, okay. and he's working in it now. Anyway, at the time she said, Could, would you be prepared to test his AI? He needs lots of people to go, you know, to log in 
and put a moral question to this AI. He's building a moral AI. Wow, and I okay. just had hysterics at that point. And <laughs> I said, do you realize what I've just spent the last few months doing? So I told her about it. She thought it was very funny. So I said, right. So I logged on and this was the most fascinating thing I've ever done, talking to a real AI in real time. It's so meta. It's the most meta thing I've ever done. Yeah, I bet. And obviously the more people who talk to it, uh, the better the, yeah, the better the it gets, it, yeah. It, it, it gets. And it was having some difficulty. I, I actually I actually put uh, Solomon's dilemma about who do you save to it. And it was just there were just too many factors in it at this stage of development for it to cope with. And eventually it, mm-hmm. it, it gave up on me. It stopped oh, right. questions and it, it, you can almost hear it go nutter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, my my friend Aunt Angie, she, she she tried out a few things like if I find this bag of groceries in the supermarket car park, do I keep it or not keep it? There was that level of either or mm-hmm. moral stuff that it could build from. And it got a bit confused with that. And then she gave it Hansel and Gretel. And eventually the okay. AI was asking her, yes, but what about the witch? Is the witch all right? <laughs> oh, really? No way. Yeah. They're not going to turn out the way we think they will. They're already no, thinking no. different to us. So, yeah, it had a point. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the witch uh, was just hungry. There was no right to burn her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was really weird. Is the weirdest experience I think possibly is to ask a moral AI, a real moral AI, the yeah. question you had the fictional moral AI deal with, and it was bizarre. And I'm glad I did it. It just made my day. It was so. I weird. bet that's such a cool experience to be able to do that because not many people will get that chance to even speak to an AI like that. Yeah, I mean, it must be a fascinating field to to to, to work in. Um, the whole moral the whole moral thing, though, is is we have to define what's right and wrong for it to initially yeah. make its own judgments. And I'm not sure I'm not sure that's what. When I was trying to put Solomon together, I was trying to imagine where would he get his definition of of morals from. He would read. He would read about humans. He he had no contact with them because he he wasn't supposed to exist. Yeah. So he would have read up a lot on humans. He would have studied you know, millions of documents, and he would have seen what is the most advantageous and uh, the least selfish. He would yeah. he'd probably yeah, see he humans would, yeah. as a sort of uh, you know, a communal animal that needs to do what's right for the community. So he would inevitably end up being big on self-sacrifice for uh, for the greater good and those sorts of things. But he does reach his own moral standards. He does. He does. And yeah. this is what I loved about the character. It's a, it's a great example of a a perfectly written AI character that. It's, it's funny because obviously we don't have those kind of characters existing in real life. And I think that is probably why I find them quite fascinating. Yes. Yes. I mean, if, if you, if you were to do the sort of AI that, uh, I'm just trying to think, then there must, somebody must have done something with an AI behaving like AIs behind, behave now, but they do something stupendously well, but there's no real comprehension behind it. It doesn't appear to be, or what they come up with doesn't resonate with us because it's not human. I mean, they're uh, like amazing oh, prose that means nothing. Um, there is a film that's, uh, Oh, what's it called? Not Machine. It's got uh, Brendan Gleeson's, Domhnall Gleeson. It's got him in it. Ah, I should have to look that up. I should have to look that up. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll find it and I'll send it to you. And and speaking of which, like this is at the end of the show, because obviously we're, we're past an hour now. Oh, um, <laughs> which is, no, it's, I, I, I love it. Like I, I, w- 
I would keep talking for another two hours, but the only thing is I've got to edit it by Wednesday. So I have to, I have to limit myself sometimes for the, the show lengths. Uh, I, I, we usually like suggest something that we want people to check out. And I, I don't know if you're, are you familiar with the writer called Becky Chambers? No. I would check out her book series called the Wayfarer series. It's one of the most original little sci-fi things I've read. And I know you said you don't really read much, um, but maybe if you can get an audio book of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's really cool. Really, really interesting book series. And uh, is there anything you want to suggest to the listeners? I know you said you've got a lot of different medias that you're into. Um, I'm heavily into anime. Uh, since I've been able to get hold of streaming, which, are, which is relatively recent for me, um, yeah. I have all watched on it. And I have never seen such rigorously constructed emotional stories as I've seen in the most unlikely subject matter in anime. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Um, I couldn't even begin to tell people what to watch, but because uh, it'll take me about an hour. Because when people say, what, <laughs> what's your, your favourite? And I say, can you just divide it into subgenres, please? And I'm yeah, you can't choose a favourite. Yeah, or the last five years. <laughs> um, the, there, are, there are some really good offbeat things around at the, at the moment, like Odd Taxi, uh, to your eternity, Heaven's Design Team. Oh, my, Heaven's Design Team. Some really <laughs> wacky stuff. But I've also just started to watch Gundam. And oh, I wow, just, okay. I thought that was just robots. I thought this was going to be like Transformers. I did not realize what, what it was going to be was the Borgias meets Kill Bill meets the Godfather. Yeah, yeah there's a lot going what? on there. If you just change the, change the, I say robots, they're not robots, they're actually ex- ex- exoskeletons. They've got no yeah. existence. Mech suits. If, yeah. if, you, if you were to take that, if you, if you basically took um, the the science fiction elements out of it, and you perhaps set it on Earth, and it was and it was fighter planes. The personal dynamics of what happens to a kid bent on revenge and turns into a well, say turns into or is a psychopath par excellence. A kid mm-hmm. required to fight at the age of fifteen, and what it does to him. Um, the way people handle difficult situations when commands thrust on them at 19 and they haven't got a clue what to do and they're more scared than their soldiers just absolutely fantastic storytelling i know it works because i was getting really angry i always watch an episode a, a day you know um, yeah okay i got really angry with some of the characters today and i and i, I was thinking if you if, if this was back in space you'd be out the airlock mate <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I thought, yeah they've definitely got this right because they've got me upset and angry on behalf of another character brilliant is it the and, original series you're watching the first series i'm watching all of it uh this is oh, because wow. god because i'm a completist so yeah i'm also i've also started on one piece i hope i live long enough to see jesus christ okay 800 something videos and uh, it is, yeah. but um i I, I just happened to, I was, I was watching Netflix and I, I, I saw um, Gundam, uh, it was H- Hathaway and I thought, okay, a guy I've got a very high yeah. regard, Mark Kern, likes, likes good Gundam and I thought, if he likes it, there's got to be something in it. So I, I, I watched Hathaway, I hadn't got a clue about half of it other than big robots and I thought, you know, I've got to, I've got to watch more of this. It's so, great, isn't it? I'm so glad you picked that one because that was the one I watched the other day. And I haven't watched Gundam since Gundam Wing in, must have been 95 on Cartoon Network. And it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a particular part of this, of, of Gundam Hathaway, and I, I mentioned it in our, our group's Discord a couple of uh, weeks ago, where the, the Gundams are attacking the city and it's, the viewpoint of the people on the ground trying to get yes. out, you know, get out the towers. Yes. That yes. is, oh my it's God, it's poignant. 
It's yeah. astonishing. There's loads of stuff like that throughout. And I mean, when you consider, uh, I've, I started out, I asked a friend who's into this, I said, look, Please, please don't judge me, but I want to watch Gundam. And then she said, well, you know, this is, you're going to need to do this, this, and this. And mm-hmm. I went back and found, and found the list. So I started with Origins, which is the remake, effectively, the original stuff. Okay. And they've really been absolutely pure about it. They have stuck to all the characters. They have stuck to the, a lot of the visual style, the, the sort of ticks like old um, uh, Gama doing his hair, you know, twiddling with his yeah. hair. And all. Beautifully done. And um, what am I on now? I, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on chronologically the, the next one where Amuro is, um, is introduced. Okay. See, um, I'm, I'm wanting to go back. I've seen the more modern stuff. And yeah, I, I, me and my I, girlfriend I actually went to halfway through. You see, I, I have to start at, at the beginning because that's a mistake I made with JoJo. I accidentally see, started at, at Golden Wind and thought, "What's going on?" And someone said to me, "No, no, no, can stop, stop, stop. Yeah, go, go back, back six, go back." <laughs> and of course, absolute JoJo nut. I cannot resist. Yeah, it. my brother absolutely loves it. That's one I've not started yet. Um, it's one that I'm gonna definitely get into. I did just want to mention to you. I don't know if you've been to a Daiba in Tokyo. They have a full-size Gundam in the street. Oh, excellent. And it moves. Oh, it's insane. And they're building another one currently that walks out of the structure for the Olympics. It's uh, insane. It's the unicorn Gundam. But we went out there and took some photographs, and it is colossal. It, it's just, it doesn't even begin to... You can't fathom it how big it is. And I don't know, it's, it could only be in Japan, you know? Yes, I mean, this, what I absolutely love about them, though, is that they've, they've, they've got this, every single anime I've ever seen, they have a way of taking your guard down so you're in an unreal world, and then, you, then, and then they hit you with a brutally real world. I mean, yeah. you can imagine the sort of things that, that, that we've been watching in the West for, for kids. Of the, I mean, it isn't really for kids as far as I'm, I'm concerned, but if you, can, if you compare Scooby-Doo with the, with the incredible moral challenges of Gundam or mm-hmm. um, Full Metal Alchemist or things like that, there's, there's the actual difference in the level of storytelling, the amount of, of, of thought that goes into it, the story rigor, the willingness to pursue the story to the end in going, well, no, we can stop that there. You know, we'll go off on another tangent. They go to the bitter end of the story, and I admire that. Yeah, yeah, it's impressive for the amounts of story writing. And that's why something that I think I, I, I fell out of, of, of love with anime a little bit when I was growing up. But when Spirited Away sort of got released over here, I remember my dad taking me to see it. And even he was like, I appreciate the difference in storytelling that you see from Japan. There's yes. something completely different. In there is. The, they there don't is. go where you're going. You think they're going to go exactly. at all? Exactly, exactly. And I mean, you always think, surely they're not going to go there, and they do. There is nothing yeah. left unturned. Yeah. Um, I was one of the things I've enjoyed recently. Recently is uh, is um, Parasite. Oh you yes, know? yeah. I watched that a few years ago. Oh yeah. gosh, I've only just found it. And there is a part where inevitably, if they're sharing the same body, questions get asked, and I thought. They're not going to go there. That parasite is not going to ask that question or look at that part. Oh, yes, it did. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's Psyche K. Have you ever watched yeah. that? I, I um, know of it. I've not watched it yet. The Disastrous Life of Psyche K, which could easily have been written by Peter Tinniswood. It has that I didn't know you cared feel <laughs> of. I mean, this is the astonishing thing. If Peter Tinniswood had been Japanese and writing about a psychic Carter Brandon, yeah, that's what he would have done, yeah. <laughs> and it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And there is nowhere they don't go. 
I no, was it was a great there, one. Yeah. My hands to my face thinking they don't, they're not really going to expand on that. They're not really going to talk about that topic. Nothing was taboo. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they go everywhere with it. Have you, have you seen on Netflix is a new one called Doro He Doro. I did start yet? watching it. That's one with uh, lizards in, isn't it? There's quite a few lizards. Yeah. A guy was, is he called Cayman? Yeah. He's got a lizard head, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I did I, start, I, but I haven't finished. I've, didn't think I was going to like it. And then I found myself kept thinking like, oh, I'll watch the next one tonight. And then by the end, I was done. And I was like, I, I weirdly enjoyed that. And I don't know why. I mean, this is the thing about anime that I've learned is I never turn anything down because I have no idea. The mm. title doesn't clue you in. The art doesn't clue you in. And you can nope. find yourself in a totally different story to what you expected. You can, you can. And I think that is a perfect line to end it on, Karen. Find yourself in a story that you don't expect. Exactly. That would be perfect. Exactly. <laughs> Do you want to tell the listeners where they can find you? Any of your socials or your website? Um, my website is karentravis.com, two S's. Uh, uh, I will. I don't act actually uh, frequent Twitter these days, but you can DM me on Twitter. Uh, you can find my books on Amazon. Um, my, uh, let's see, the Ringer series and... Uh, yeah, so the Ringer series is actually on um, Kindle Unlimited at the moment, so so you can read that if you if you've if you've got Kindle Unlimited membership, you can also cool. buy it, obviously, which would be super. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Best of Us, I think at the moment, is still also it, it's exclusive to Amazon, but um, that may well go wide shortly. Cool, cool. Well, I hope it does because more people need to read it because it was great. All you listeners out there, make sure you pick up all these books. And I've been screaming at you about all these books for a long time, so you better be in the process of reading them. And as you all know, you can find me at Haswild absolutely everywhere. You can find the podcast at Grief Burrito. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please review it, like, subscribe, all that bullshit that everyone says on YouTube. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, Karen, for joining me. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Bye, guys. See ya. (laughs) 